So we're, we're on Romans chapter 11, verse 25. So that you may not claim to be wiser than you are, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand this mystery. A hardening has come upon part of Israel until the full number of Gentiles has come in. So here's the scenario I see Paul painting. Tell me if I'm wrong interpreting it this way. God hardened part of Israel's heart long enough for the Gentiles to come in until the full measure. And then once the full measure of the Gentiles has come in, then Israel's hardened heart will stop being and they will join. Is that what he's saying? I'm not 100% sure what he's saying. Uh, I certainly have heard it, uh, uh, various people, certainly within the dispensational type thing, will say that, see, this is when we shifted from Israel being the focus of God's thing. They've been put in the penalty box, and God's not doing anything with them. He's concentrating on Gentiles, and then at the end he's going to shift back to to Israel. And um, That's this whole Israel movement that... That right. it has spawned. Yeah, I was and, thinking this, uh, that, that if I, I take this, this is called plain reading here. Right. <laughs> if I do a plain reading of this verse, that's where I end up. Right. So, but then when he's referring to Israel, is he referring to Israel as a distinct people group, as a, you know, as the political national Israel? Or because uh, otherwise, other places he talks about Israel. Well, not all Israel is Israel, and the Gentiles are being grafted in and are becoming Israel, and that there's this very fluid definition of what Israel is. And so, I'm not. Is it, that, it would, how is he? What does he mean when he's referring to Israel? Israel? I suppose we'd have to say he's referring to whatever gets hardened, and that he would seem to be that those who reject Jesus have hardened their hearts. Mm-hmm. And that would be what he's referring to. I think we need to look at Paul's background mm-hmm. and understand that he is steeped in the Old Testament. Um, and the Old Testament attributes a lot of things to God that uh, today we might look at and say, well, we attribute that to Satan or to Lucifer. Mm-hmm. And so he has this, you know, all-encompassing to God that's responsible for good and for disasters and for, you know, everything. Um, and I see him drawing heavily on that Old Testament theology of God uh, here. Um, we see verse 26, it, say, it goes on and says, well, mine says that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved. Right? That's the completion mm-hmm. of the thought. Mm-hmm. Here is in verse 26. Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. God's desire is not to cut them off, but he's ultimately doing something because... He wants to be in relationship with his people. He wants to save them. And Israel are those who are his children who follow him and who obey him. Okay, so you would take Israel in a in larger perspective. Well, that, when it says that all Israel be saved, that's what makes me think that those referring... All Israel is then those who are willing to be saved, basically. Correct. Yeah, I, I think... I think we we established that several weeks ago, so I appreciate your reiterating it, uh, Katrina. That 
this is language that comes out of the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is steeped in this, uh, what I call divine determinism, which, where God does everything, and that's just part and parcel of the ancient Near East. Everybody this believed that. It's very reminiscent of God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Exactly, exactly. In fact, I think he's using that as his model for this chapter. But suppose, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here to make a point. Suppose God does, I mean, suppose uh, Paul does mean Israel as in the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. Can we still take that as that is literally going to happen? Or is there a caveat somewhere? Well, of course it can be taken literally. I mean, fundamentalism just keeps growing and growing. (laughs) (laughs) You want to say, oh, there's 144,000 and see, we're just waiting for that last person to accept and when that's done then everything will be complete because God has his number. And if yeah. you're a Calvinist, then, you know, as soon as that's all come to fruition, then bingo, Jesus will show up. Yeah, I think there's some Adventists who think that way too. And if we're following the theme of the reading, you wouldn't be the devil's advocate, you'd be God's advocate. Oh, of course, of course. But, but <laughs> the reason I'm asking is because we have a statement that we hang by as a church. It says that the church may appear as about to fall, Mm -hmm. but it does not. Sinners in Zion will be shaken out. I'm I'm forgetting a piece of that. What do we do with that one? Well, I think that there, it may be a mistake to conflate the church with being the organizational structure um, I think those are two different things. Um, and just like, you know, when it says not all that are Israel are Israel, well, not everyone that's church is church, you know, or that that the, the, the church is not ultimately an organization or a building or, you know, whatever. It's God's people, um, which transcends that and then also, you know, there, there's a, would hope that there'd be a very high overlap uh, between the people who are showing up every week, uh, and but that to try and nail that down, saying that it's sp- a, a specific congregation or a specific denomination or a specific whatever, I think is um, dangerous. Why is it dangerous? Because it it changes the the criteria by which people are saved or not. It it, it shifts from the emphasis being on Christ and what he has done and a relationship with God to being a member of the right group here on earth. And that somehow it's this organization that's going to save me. That it's not Jesus that's going to save me. Okay. Ellen White has a quote that I really like. She says, we're not saved as a sect. We're not saved as a denomination. We're saved by the individual relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Becoming an Adventist, is, in a sense, is, is not an issue of salvation. Um, we can't tie it to it's that. It's an issue of persuasion. But, you know, students are often shocked when they see that because, you know, it just... Yeah, I mean, I think that certainly that um, doctrine is important. 
because it helps to us to understand. It's the lenses that we well, look I, through uh, to understand God's character. Exactly. God I, ideally, that's um, its role. And so, and so, I, I'm not saying that it doesn't make any difference. You know, what you believe or what church you're in or, or whatever. Um, the quality. But, but the thing is, if that becomes our focus, if we, if rather than seeing beyond that to the God that it reflects, that that's unfortunately a very human nature to, to, to shift off of that and to shift it back onto our own selves rather than to keep focused on, on um, God. Um, yeah, I, it, it, doctrine should help shape our relationship with Jesus and make it more viable. But doctrine without a relationship. But doctrine without a relationship or the wrong kind of doctrine, right. which we always are in danger of, mm-hmm. of having. I'd like to add a caveat that I think is present. That is that all warnings, well, all the promises and threatenings of God are alike conditional. Mm-hmm. And I think that applies to this right here. And I think that applies to that statement. And I think we need to take heed lest we fall as a church. You know, there's yeah, the, the hubris of thinking, well, it doesn't matter that, that we can't fail no matter what. And so it, it, it kind of like, you know, for the, in the ancient uh, for Israel, it was like, the, well, temple, the, temple, the, the temple, temple, the temple, the temple. Right. God will never forsake We us. have the well, church, the church, the church. Or the Sabbath, the Sabbath, the Sabbath, you know, or, yeah. you know, whatever. That, uh, right. It's the same. A certain video was going around that told us to trust the church. You saw that. It seems to me that... It, it's kind of a study in brainwashing, actually. But yeah, it is. It is. It, it seems to me that... by lay people. Lay, lay people, people in conjunction with the General Conference. It seems to me that these, the, taking these statements, and, and what we tend to do when we take them literally is we pluck them out of context, too. And, and we, that becomes the whole picture. And we're dealing with only part of the picture. And the part of the picture is that everything is subject to change if we do not cooperate. It's, it's just that way. God's not going to save anybody who ultimately doesn't want to be saved. That's right. That's right. Or who, who has bought into a system of, quote, salvation that is false. Right. Well, and by not wanting to save, I mean choosing to live by a within a structure or a belief system that ignores the relationship with God and chooses another way of being saved. Right. Right. I just want to say when I said lay people, I don't like that term. It's what they call themselves. Yeah. Okay, so... all priests, right? That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Verse 26, so all Israel will be saved as it is written, out of Zion will come the deliverer. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the Gospels, they are enemies of God for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their ancestors. For the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. So am I wrong? About being conditional, you mean? Yeah. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. 
irrevocable. Well, God doesn't change his mind. The call yeah. stands, yeah. but we yeah. can not take it. I mean, if, if I write you a check for a million dollars, which would bounce, but nonetheless, <laughs> yeah. I, let's say I had a million dollars, and I wrote you a check and handed it to you, but you never cashed the check, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I didn't cancel the check, it's still yours, but if you never cashed it... You've heard the story about the son who came home for Christmas or something, and he wanted a, a, a new car and, and, the, the and was given a Bible. Yeah. Right. And, and he, he and never opened the Bible, and right. it had in it, I the think, the, the, the... It was the check for the amount. It was the, the check car. for the amount of the car. Yeah. I can't remember if it was that or if it was the receipt. It was the, yeah. it was the receipt, I thought. thought. The, well, I've, I've heard various ways. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, exactly. It's a pastor's tale. Yeah, it is a pastor's tale. That's right. It probably never happened. So as regards for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So it isn't God's choice that we be lost. It is our choice. And I think, I think that has to be clear. I kind of think of it like a... Uh, um, you know, you have these little tethered submersible, you know, things that can go way down, you know, miles down in the ocean, but they have a, a, a cord that goes up to the mothership that do, takes communication and air and, and, and whatever uh, down to them. And if they were down at, you know, say, you know, two miles down under the ocean and decided to turn around, and they've got, you know, the little manipulators and saws and stuff for picking water. If they turned around and decided to cut their, that, uh, supply line they could um, and as a result you know they would not survive that experience but it's not because of anything or that the mothership did it was mm-hmm. their own choice to yeah. to disconnect themselves from it and I, I kind of see that as being the same yeah so just as you were now once disobedient to, obedient to God but now have received mercy because of their disobedience so they now have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they too may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he may be merciful to all. This is, this is definitely speaking Israelite. This is not the way we would word it. Here it says, for God has consigned all men to disobedience that he yeah. may have mercy upon them. Apparently that word in Greek has to do with imprisoning people as well. The reason my version has imprisoned. I don't know. Sometimes I just see God as... I mean, He's God. <laughs> he knows everything. So He... Well, um, so when I hear... When I see something like that, that seems like, well, what do you mean God imprisoned men to disobedience? It's like, it's just a declaration. I mean, He made us with, with choice. Mm-hmm. So he's just stating what he's seeing, you know. Mm-hmm. He's not trying to force something else, mm-hmm. or okay. um, I, don't, I don't know why we get I think, so caught I think, up in that. Because I think like, what we've if done. I believe God is God, and He knows all things. Yeah, I think it's because if you were coming out of the Roman Catholic Church, where the Church had the final say in your salvation, and excommunication from the Church meant that you were lost irrevocably, and we're going to go to hell that it would be very comforting to think that God had consigned you to 
to disobedience so that he could show his mercy on you and then had predestined you to be saved. And that his election was what determined your salvation, not the church. And, and that's where Calvinism came out. Mm. It, it, it was that need to have something really, uh, something not the church mm. that was godly, that mm. was, was of God, mm-hmm. that was your salvation, rather than some, man. some man-made mm-hmm. proposition. So I, I, I think I'm, I'm look at, looking at this through Calvinist reading mm. of, of this text. That's, the, I think, the point we need to go back to to be understanding and more sympathetic toward them. Mm-hmm. But the way it's gone now, I mean, we're, we're centuries removed from that mm-hmm. era. We have to reevaluate that and say, no, no, wait a minute. This is not necessarily what it's saying. At least we don't have to worry about being excommunicated now. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> Five inquisitorial committees or something, you know. <laughs> well, the issue with that comment is, like, I feel like, well, who cares? Because I know I'm not saved by the church. You know, and, and so... I think to a lot of Adventists around the world, that would be a shock to hear that. To say that you're not saved because you're Adventist. Mm-hmm. I think they would be shocked. And they would say we were ungodly. and Yeah, well, then there's this whole growing last-generational type movement within Adventism of, that very much sees if you're going to get saved at the end, you better have your name on the roll of the Adventist Church. That, that's the only way you're getting there. Um, yeah. So the message needs to get out again. Exactly. Some, it's yeah, like the, 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 the whole gospel idea needs to kind needs of go, to back go out. out again. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to get too sidetracked. Right, we have two minutes left. Let's finish this. These two verses, or three. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments, and how inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him to receive a gift in turn? For from him and through him to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And I think we, on his bottom line, however he argues to get there, from his bottom line we can all agree that it is God who saves us. It is not our works. It is not being an Israelite or a Gentile. It is God who saves us. Those bottom lines are pretty simple. We complicate them. I was just talking to David about that this morning. But the bottom line is just God is love. (laughs) (laughs) And he's asked us to love each other. Okay, let's close with prayer. Gracious Father, we, we thank you for those bottom lines that make everything else in between much clearer and more understandable. We pray that we may not lose sight of so great a salvation, that we may never second-rate the gift that you have given us in Jesus. And we ask that you will help us to be discerning in the days ahead to understand our role and our place in the history of the Adventist Church. We pray that you will give us every every wisdom and every understanding as we face the future. 
We ask that uh, you will also increase our understanding of the Bible and its function in our lives. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.